This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Yes, 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 yes. This is Shane, and you are listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. And today's session is session number six. And today we're going to actually have a discussion about nuclear medicine. Nuclear medicine, what exactly is nuclear medicine? Who knows, but I know that there's a lot of development that's uh, being done right now, development and research and technology around uh, nuclear medicine. And today we actually have a guest that can actually speak to uh, nuclear medicine. He's a gentleman who's been in the field for, I think, the last several years or so. And he's going to go ahead and talk to us about what nuclear medicine is. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and go ahead and use the functionality of Blog Talk Radio to give him a direct call and see uh, where where he is and what, what he's up to. Um, to give you a little bit bit of background on exactly what uh, nuclear medicine is, according to um, the NCBI, which is the but basically, it, it, NCBI is the National Center of Biotechnology Information and advances science and health by providing access, access to biomedical and genomic information. So a very useful uh, website to learn about uh, you know, anything from DNA, domains and structure, genes and expression, genetics and medicine, genomes and mapping and all kinds of stuff about proteins so let's go ahead and give uh, sean a call one second here hello hello sean yeah how you doing man this is shane hey how you i'm good Good, man. Good. So right now uh, we're actually on Rabbit Hole Podcast. It's basically to talk to African-Americans who have like really, really cool jobs and really to kind of understand where they've uh, how they actually got into the field, what they're currently doing in the field and how they kind of expect uh, the field to be in the future. Um, Okay. So I, and and you were like one of those guys that I've been wanting to get on my podcast ever since I started uh, thinking about the whole concept of the show, um, because I think what you do, man, is is really really next level and actually extremely cool. So before I actually called you, I kind of gave like a brief introduction of what nuclear medicine is, but I, I couldn't do it any justice. I, justice. I've been doing a lot of research. Um, I found this one website called NCBI, which I believe is the National Center of Biotechnology and Information, which actually kind of talks about where uh, nuclear medicine uh, has uh, kind, of, uh, kind of gained its popularity over the last 50 years. Um, and, and especially the advances uh, within healthcare, um, and then in addition, the technology behind it. So I wanted to bring you in and first, of course, welcome you to the show. Thank you again for uh, you know having this conversation with me. So, no problem. What is nuclear medicine? Well, 
nuclear medicine is basically it's, it's diagnostic imaging. Um, it helps the doctors to to figure out uh, if if organ systems or, or pretty much any system in your body is functioning normally. Um, I think it differs from all the the other uh, imaging modalities in the sense that it's all about function and uh, you know X-ray, CT. MRI, ultrasound, those things are all about anatomy. And anatomy is, is basically what things look like on the inside. Um, the, the other modalities are able to, to give doctors insight, you know, uh, that they didn't have 100 years ago. They'd have to cut you open to see what things look like on the inside and to right. find, you know, what, what, what the problem was. But with, with most uh, forms of, of imaging, uh, they can actually get, you know, some insight on what things look like on the inside, whether there's a tumor or some type of growth inside your body causing the problem. But nuclear medicine is different in the sense that it's, uh, it's looking at the function of things. It's looking at, okay, you might have a tumor in your, your kidneys, but do your kidneys still function properly? You know, because, um, you know, it, 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 it's mostly it's physiology uh, versus anatomy. Interesting. So you're actually able to kind of like, I guess, go down to like the cell level and kind of right. see how those cells are actually working and kind of functioning within that particular organ. Well, um, basically, there, there are, you know, in each organ, there are different components that, that do different things. So um, to basically give you an insight on how nuclear medicine works on the cellular level, uh, one of our, our most common studies is called a bone scan. So we, we'll inject uh, a patient with a tracer uh, that's, you know, it's a phosphorus-based uh, tracer and your bones like phosphorus. So pretty much we'll inject the tracer through your IV and the bones will pick the tracer up over probably a, a three-hour period. And the tracer gives off invisible gamma rays. So, so in a sense, your skeleton uh, becomes like a movie projector. It projects an image outward to our camera. So if our cameras sit above any, any bone in your body, the gamma rays will hit the detector of the camera and it'll put a picture together, kind of the same way that a movie projector projects light and, and you could, you're able to see it on the screen. And uh, things work on a, a cellular level in the sense that if you take an x-ray, you're basically just taking a picture of the bone. So if there's a hairline fracture, a really, really microscopic fracture in the bone, the naked eye can't really see it. But with nuclear medicine, the cells that are, the, the cells that are damaged along the fracture, those cells will be, be behaving differently. They'll they'll be uh, working a lot harder to repair themselves. So they'll take up more of the tracer and they'll project brighter images. So um, on a cellular level, we're able to see trauma to the bone that that you can't see with possibly a CT or or an X-ray. Right, right, and it's, it either goes, like you just said, it actually goes down a few layers deeper than your CT, right. because I know my understanding is that CT, it should probably go into, you know, where looking at those bones and kind of going to your organs, and, you know, it kind of goes right. down, kind of gives you a gives you an image of exactly what's going on, um, but right. this actually kind of goes down a little deeper, it appears, where it sounds like to me. Um, how how in the heck did you choose nuclear medicine? Were you like that little kid that was like nine, ten years old and be like, you know what, when I grow up, um, I'm going to study medicine and I'm going to go ahead and get into nuclear medicine. Now, at what point 
did you decide on, you know, a, a career in healthcare? And then more specifically, how did you decide nuclear medicine as your career choice? Uh, honestly, it happened very accidentally in the sense mm. that um, I, w- I was working in, uh, I was working for Bayer, you know, like, you know, the Bayer Aspirin Company. Uh, yes. Actually, it's actually Bayer. It's a German company. I was working for their pharmaceutical division in Berkeley. I was doing uh, large-scale formulations of, of medications for hemophiliacs. So uh, I was working there, and I was working off-shift. I was working graveyard shift and a swing shift. And for some reason, I was feeling some heart palpitations. So um, I actually, Kaiser was my health care provider, so I, I had an appointment at Kaiser to evaluate my heart. And when I was on the treadmill, the lady who was overseeing the study she started talking about how the nuclear, how Kaiser started a private program to teach nuclear medicine. She was telling me how she really wanted to get into the program, but she didn't have all the, 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 the educational background. And she was asking, yeah, she was asking me, what is your, your, your educational background? I said, I have a degree in chemistry. And she said, oh, my God, you, you're qualified for the program. And I said, well, you know, what is this program? And she she told me all about nuclear medicine. She asked me to go to the basement and to just take a tour of the department because she thought it was amazing. So uh, once I finished my, my little procedure, I actually went to the basement, and I, and, I, and I asked somebody to give me a tour. And the lady who gave me a tour, she was really nice. She explained everything to me and you know about how dynamic the field is. There are like 30 or 40 different procedures we do. And uh, it's, not, it's not like you come in and you do the same thing every day over and over and over. It's, you might come in and you might do 10 different, you know, completely different studies. And uh, she gave me a brief explanation. And, um, I, you know, she asked me to come back and shadow her for half of a day. So a wow. week or two later, I came back and I, I shadowed her for four hours. And I, I really, really thought it was, it was really dynamic. It was really, you know, cutting edge, a lot of technology. And uh, so she 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 uh, advised me to apply to the program. So I applied, and um, as a matter of fact, by the time I was interviewed for uh, you know a spot in in the program, the same lady who gave me a tour, she had actually left the department in Walnut Creek, and she was an instructor at the school. Therefore, wow. she she greenlighted me through the whole program. So. Um, that's that's basically how how it happened. I I didn't know nuclear medicine existed before I walked in the hospital that day, and I mean I would I would guess ninety percent of the general public doesn't know it even exists. I mean people find out about it when either themselves or somebody they know or or their relatives actually need a procedure done there. You know it's kind of like people people think it's it's like a secret in 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 the medical field because you know it's not a common department like you know like like uh. OBGYN, like internal medicine, or, yeah, yeah, those, like like those departments, that's, podiatry. That's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's its own specialty. Yeah, so it's, it's like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, man, that's that's very interesting. It's, it really seems like fate kind of just like had had a major play in that because you know who, like you said, you kind of just went in, just checking in on some health stuff, and then right there you had that person kind of there kind of telling you telling you her dreams, and then she figured out, well, you know what, you have a pretty strong background in this stuff too. Why don't you give it a shot? And I guess your curiosity 
kind of led you downstairs and you're able to link up with the right people. And now, how long have you been in nuclear medicine? Um, I, uh, about 10 years. I'm coming up on my 10-year anniversary, but um, I had to go through the program. The program is almost two years. It's like a year and a half, uh, plus or minus. So I've, I've actually been training in the department where I work. I've been in that department for 12 years because as a student, you know, I, I was there and they were teaching me the ropes. And once you get up to speed, they, you know, they, they, they let you go and let you, you know, let you strengthen your skills and, and, and work. So I've, I've actually been in the department for working for 10 years, but I've been around the department for 12 years. Interesting. So what kind of education do you need? Is it something like after you're done with the program, do you get like an MD, uh, another master's degree, a, a particular certificate? Are there uh, special licenses that you need? Well, okay, this is the way it works. So I went to the Kaiser School the second year it was open. So when, the, when I enrolled in the, in the Kaiser School, they had just opened. So it was a certification program. So for, for the state of California, the Department of Health, to, for them to allow you to practice nuclear medicine, you require at least a certification saying that you, you've covered all the topics necessary for nuclear medicine in terms of the physics, the, um, you know, all the, uh, the, the hospital um, protocols, all the safety, all the, um, you know, health care uh, policy stuff. And uh, so you need a certification uh, from the school saying that you finished uh, a reputable program. So that's what I got. Um, at the time, but now you know the the school's been open for I guess fourteen years now. They're offering bachelor's degrees in nuclear medicine now. So um, at the time I attended, it was only a certification. But then you have to take national board exams. You have to take a, a licensing exam, and you have to to be certified. So that's something like an MD. Yeah, in, in a sense. So uh, you have to be you have to have the certification, and you have to be licensed by you know uh, you know by a national uh, board, and uh, when you pass the national board, the state of California, the, the Department of Health, will issue you a, a, a license to practice within the state of, of California. Wow. Can you and, take uh, this license and practice outside of California? Most definitely. If I was to move, let's say, if I was to move to Las Vegas, all I would have to do is is submit a, uh, a request for, for a license to practice in the state of, uh, of Nevada. As a matter of fact, the, the director of the program when I went to, to, to the nuclear medicine school, he was the director of the nuclear medicine program at UNLV. UNLV has, uh, has a nuclear medicine department or program where they, they give bachelor's degrees. And the same person who was the director of their program, he came and he started up the program at, at the Kaiser School. So basically he taught us everything that he was teaching, uh, that his program taught for bachelor's degrees at UNLV. But since the school had just started, they have to be, you know, in place for a certain amount of time before they can start applying for um, accreditation for, for degrees and things like that. They don't let people just just start up a school in one week and then get accredited the next week and start giving out degrees. Right. Um, right. They have to be the real deal, legit uh, organization. Is Kaiser the only healthcare organization in California that's doing nuclear medicine? Um, no. Are there I others mean, every, out there? Yeah, every reputable hospital should have a nuclear medicine department. 
Um, so basically every, every hospital system or every hospital network should have a nuclear medicine department. Um, I know that a lot of private hospitals are different in the sense that all of their departments aren't in-house. Um, I, I know this because a friend of mine, um, he said he has, um, I think, Blue Cross or something, and he injured his knee playing basketball. He went to the emergency room, and they told him he couldn't get an MRI of his knee because they didn't have an MRI machine there. He had to go right. somewhere else and get right. an appointment a week later for an MRI. But, so, right. but, I mean, all Kaiser hospitals have a nuclear medicine department, and all private hospitals, because um, when I was in the nuclear medicine program uh, at the Kaiser School, I actually did a clinical rotation at John Muir Hospital in Walnut Creek, which is a private hospital, and I, I worked in their nuclear medicine department. I see. I see. Man, so what would a person have to do to see you? Is it, Are they like in like the, the later stages of cancer? Uh, is it like a, a concern that they might have with, uh, you know, one of their extremities? Um, they say, you know, they, they have like a pain on the side of their 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 stomach or whatever what 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 does it take for a person to see you and you to do you know go through your your procedures okay so um it's 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 a spe- like it's a specialty it's a specialized form of imaging so um all the patients have have to have a referral to go to nuclear medicine just like a patient can't just walk into the MRI department and say well I think I tore my HCL. Let me get it. Let, let me get an MRI. So, basically, a patient has to see a physician, whether it's on the ED, the emergency room level, or if they see their, pri- their, their uh, primary care physician, or uh-huh. you know, they might see their cardiologist. Um, there are, like I said, there are 30 to 40 different procedures we do to evaluate pretty much every organ system in your body. So, basically, wow. they go to the doctor and uh, complaining of some type of ailment. Uh, our most mm-hmm. common procedure is called uh, it's called a myocardial perfusion test, and it it allows the doctors to determine whether you have a blockage in in the, the major arteries of your heart. Mm-hmm. So generally, for a patient to be referred to us, a patient would come into the emergency room with chest pain, right? They 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 complain of angina, chest pain, or they would complain of shortness of breath or dizziness, or uh, and you know the ED would evaluate them. And if they felt that it was pressing, they would send them to nuclear medicine directly from, from the emergency room. So we would get an inpatient request, and the patient would come down from the emergency room, and um, we would do the procedure. And depending on the results of the procedure, the uh-huh. patient might be admitted into the hospital for further care if we find a, a blockage. But, I mean, we also have outpatients that come in who have a, a history of heart heart disease or or, or who might just come to their doctor and, and it's not a serious pressing issue. They might have uh, intermittent chest pressure or chest pain. Like they might be like upon exertion, let's say if they walked three or four blocks, they would start feeling a little bit of pressure. So the doctor would, would refer them uh, for, for that reason. But um, something like it, a mild heart attack. Um, the thing is people don't, a lot of people don't know, but a lot of people, especially over the age of, of 50, I mean, your, the vessels in your in your heart and you know all throughout your body are are partially blocked because you've been living your you know your life up until that point eating you know foods that are high in fat and cholesterol and things like that and and most of the baby boomers who who lived through the 50s the 60s and the 70s 
uh, you know, people weren't really health conscious. Everybody was eating bacon and eggs every day. You know, everybody was smoking cigarettes in the 60s. And, you know, the, the lifestyle was, was really, really, um, was really, uh, you know, not, not geared toward, towards, uh, you know, being healthy really lifestyle. Healthy. Yeah, healthy lifestyle. I think, I don't think the public was aware of, of, of all the health issues that, that, you know, foods that are high in cholesterol, fat, you know, and, and, and smoking and, and things of that, that nature really, really cause. So, um, yeah, I, I think most people, you know, over the age of 50 are walking around with a, a certain degree of, of, of uh, you know, plaque or, or cholesterol buildup in, in, in their arteries. And it just gets to a point where you start feeling the symptoms. You might start getting short of breath after walking a certain distance, or you start feeling, you know, slight chest pressure, or chest pain upon exertion. But um, yeah, I think it's 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 really common that that's you know working in the hospital, it, you know, you you're constantly reminded of your own mortality, you know, because uh, as you get older, it's 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 going to happen. Yes, it's getting closer and closer. I recall the first time I was, uh, you know, of course, I work in healthcare as well. I was actually in the hospital in one of the lo- lobbies, and then one of those cold blue uh, messages right. came over the loudspeaker, and then it just seemed like every doctor from every department, uh, EMTs, everybody was right there in the main lobby. And and you kind of seen the guy actually kind of pass away right there. And you see all these, uh, you know, like I said, medical staff and chiefs and just doctors kind of standing around and giving their input. And they did everything they could to save the person. Um, but at the end of the day, he didn't make it through. And right at that point, I was like, you know what? This is the real deal. People in here. Are uh, there's you know people are being born and people are 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 also you know passing away and we have all these right. great medical profess- professionals um, here to you know kind of um, you know prolong life um, you know kind of right. I know a lot of the healthcare providers systems right now it's really about um, being proactive instead of reactive right so right. you know a lot of these spots uh a lot of these healthcare organizations you know they're really trying to promote healthy ways of of living you know having certain types of program having you know all kinds of clinical data and resources available to the public um for for them to you know live healthier lifestyles right. so right. Yeah. nuclear medicine like i said it kind of kind of thinks think about you know big bombs you know, created out of, you know, some kind of nuclear energy. In what form, is it some kind of serum that you're injecting into the body? Is it some kind of like rays? Like, you know, they kind of go sit in like a a CAT scan type uh, machine. And how how is it actually prescribed? Okay. So um, that's one of the major uh, misconceptions people have. When they come into nuclear medicine, a lot of people are nervous based on the, the, just the term nuclear. It, it has mm-hmm. a lot of negative, uh, you know, a, a lot of negative. It's, it's like a negative connotation to, to the word in the sense that it's dangerous or, or people die from it. But um, nuclear medicine is it, it, called nuclear medicine because uh, on the atomic level, um, radiation, uh, the gamma rays that most of our, our, our traces, so we 
don't inject a dye or a serum. It's just it's called a trace, a radio tracer. It's just a liquid that's composed of um, of an isotope that is in a radioactive form, which means it's just giving off energy in the form of gamma rays. So, um, and the gamma rays all come from the nucleus of the atom. Therefore, that, that's why it's called nu- nuclear medicine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, the, the most common uh, isotope that we use is called technesium. Technesium 99M is, is in an excited state. So basically it gives off invisible gamma rays at uh, the energy level 140 kV. And um, it has a, a half-life of six hours, which means every six hours it's given off half of its energy. So it decays at a rate in, in, in six-hour, uh, kind of like six-hour windows. Like every six hours, it's given off half of its energy. And after approximately, approximately 24 hours, you're back to background. So it's, it's given off all of the energy, and and if you know you'll you'll no longer be radioactive at approximately 24 hours after after the procedure. I see. So once you actually uh, in, in inject that thing, that kind of so when you when the you actually isotope. the isotope into the system, right. then you kind right. of go into some sort of machine where then it kind of kind of reflects off of those isotopes to kind of create an image. And what what is that so machine called? It's called a nuclear medicine gamma camera. Okay. Uh, because it's it's gamma rays coming off. It's called the gamma camera. So basically, um, when they so basically once I inject the patient with the tracer. The trace, the patient, the person becomes radioactive. Okay, and each tracer is designed to target some type of organ system with, within your body. Like I described the the procedure for seeing the blockages in your heart, the tracer that that we inject is designed to target the blood flow in the heart, in the heart muscle. So, um, and when I do a bone scan, the tracer I inject is basically like the, the isotope is linked to a different compound that targets some type of organ system. So. Uh, for the bone scan, the, the, the technesium is tagged to a phosphorus compound. Your bones like phosphorus, so once I inject it, after three hours, the bones will, will pull it from your bloodstream, and the tracer, the isotope, will stick to the bones, and the bones will, in, a, in essence, kind of project an image out. So it's like millions of invisible gamma rays will be coming for, out of your bones from every different direction. So when we put you uh, into a, a camera system, Mm-hmm. All those millions of gamma rays coming out will hit the detector, and mm-hmm. each little each little ray of ga- gamma each gamma ray once it hits the detector, it converts it into a dig- digital pixel in the picture. So, after a certain amount of time, the pixels will overlap, and it's kind of like you know it, it'll it'll form a, a picture. Right, right. Now, do you have concerns for your own safety? Are you, you know, I kind of have this image in my mind, you know, and forgive me for, you know, my ignorance in the subject, but I kind of have this image. You guys have these suits on. You kind of have these, like, very heavy type gloves and stuff. You're kind of dealing with stuff with those big old pliers and stuff. And, you know, it's it's very, it's a very secure type of uh, process. Um, is it is it like that, or are you just in your your scrubs and you got your rubber gloves on and you just kind of working with it? It's 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 mostly like I, I just have scrubs on. I wear a white lab coat and we just wear the the blue uh, nitrile gloves. It's the same like non latex gloves. Um, the thing is that we work with um, with with low energy um, radioactive materials. 
So, I mean, we probably have, you know, 50 times more exposure than the common person who works, let's say, in an, in an office building. And, I mean, there, there are risks involved because you know, um, radiation has a, a cumulative effect on you. The more exposure you have to radiation, the more likely it, it, it is that you'll develop some type of cancer. But um, it's basically we just work around it. The energy it gives off can be... Um, can pretty much be shielded by lead. So yes. we m- most of the containers we keep the tracer in, they're all lined with lead and tungsten, which are heavy metals that help to to kind of shield most of the exposure. So um, so we basically use shielding the whole time. Like we have we, we inject from from a syringe or a needle, and the, we have covers over the needles made of, of lead and tungsten. And once we in- inject it into the patient. The, the thing we get the most exposure from is the patient because we're not going to put a lead apron or, or, or lead shield around the patient. So we get most of our exposure once we've injected the patient and the patient becomes radioactive, we, we get most of our exposure interacting with the patient. We don't want the patient to be afraid or uncomfortable, so we don't act like, you know, there's something wrong. But huh. we just do our best to, uh, you know, to keep a, keep a, a fair amount of distance and uh, kind of limit our exposure to the patient, but you know that is just uh, one of the one of the hazards of the job is that that you know that you'll be uh, exposed to to a lot more radiation than than a common person. That's interesting, man, and very intriguing to me. So, are, are there like kind of processes in place where you guys actually could kind of like test yourselves to see if you kind of have like a higher dose a higher dose of radiation compared to the average person? Or is it, Definitely. you know, Definitely. how, how um, often is we, that? Uh, we, we're required to wear dosimeters. Dosimeters are like film badges that we wear on our lab coats. And we're also required to wear a ring badge. It's like, it's like a plastic ring we wear on our hands. And okay. we wear a dosimeter badge on our lab coat. And it measures the radiation exposure um, that, that we get. And we're required to, to turn them in every month. And we get a report every month about how much radiation we're exposed to. And, I mean, federal and, and state laws uh, limit the amount of radiation that a person should be exposed to in, in an occupational setting. So um, if, if I were exposed to a certain amount of radiation, Kaiser would be required to, um, to, to limit my, my radiation in the sense that if I was reaching uh, the limits, they would be required to to relocate me to a different department where I, I wouldn't be exposed to any more radiation for the remainder of the month. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but I, I, I also have a CT license, and I, I work in a department called PET-CT. That's a lot higher radiation exposure. It's, it's like five times. the. It, it's like a really, really high exposure uh, radiation area because we, we do a lot of cancer imaging there, and the, the tracer that we use is called F-18. It's, 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 a, it's another level of, of uh, radiation, and, and there's lots more exposure. So um, even working in both departments, I, I don't get close to, to the, the radiation limits per month. I, I probably get, you know, 20% of, 20%. of, of the, the maximum probably. Doesn't it add up over time, though? Definitely, it, it adds up over time, but it's, it's. I mean, they haven't. There's no proof that there's a correlation between working in nuclear medicine and developing cancer or anything like that. 
But, um, yeah, I mean, the reality is radiation, it does have a, a cumulative effect and, you know, increasing the, the probability. But, um, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I've, I've never seen any, any long-term health effects. And the other thing is that radiation is really, really, um, is radiation is, is more dangerous for, for children and embryos uh, in the sense that the cells of, of a child or an embryo are dividing and multiplying at such a, a, a rapid rate that any radiation exposure, radiation is like energy coming through and, and it can, you know, it can throw off the multiplication or the splitting of the cells and cause some type of, uh, some type of um, reaction that, that can cause uh, whether it's cancer or, or some other type of defect. And once you're an adult, your cells aren't really dividing that fast. And, and so it's, it, you ha- it has much less of an effect on adults. And once you're, you're, you're elderly, like you're over 65, you know, basically ex- radiation exposure is it's not good, but it, it doesn't really, really have that much of an effect on you. And it sounds like uh, the amount of information that you're, that you're, that's, that you have to have an understanding about, man. You need to know about biology, physics. Um, you need to understand, like, you know, how, you know, the nuclear medicines, uh, you know, what what it's all about, and the machinery. How do you keep right. yourself up to date on everything that's going on in your field? Or do you specialize on, like, you know, the one area where you were saying that you're you're dealing with nuclear medicine from the perspective of, um, kind of trying to diagnose if there are issues with the heart. Or right. if you're working in the, the CT lab, um, you're dealing with cancer patients. You know, right. that's two completely different specialties in itself, and I'm right. sure there's an right. enormous amount of science behind each of those. How do you keep right. yourself sharp and fresh and up-to-date on everything? Well, um, one way is that um, the national licensing uh, board like, like that I explained before they, they have to issue a license they require you to do a certain amount of continuing education every year so um, every year I have to renew my, my federal or my national license and when I renew my la- my national license uh, they require me to have taken a certain amount of continuing education training so uh, we can either go to seminars because, I mean, they have um, conventions like we in Las Vegas, like every two or three months, they have a three-day seminar that teaches you the, the latest technology on, in different aspects of nu- nuclear medicine. You can do it that way, or you can go online, and you have to, to take paid tutorials where, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it either refreshes you or updates you on different, different changes that, are, that have happened in the field, or, um, you know, it just gives you a general, you know, information about different areas of nuclear medicine. So we're actually required to, to, to always be, be learning. You know, every year we have to do a certain amount of training. Plus, um, I just renewed, since it's my 10th year, I had to renew my, my Department of Health for California license. And they require you to, to take a certain amount of, of continuing education over a five-year period. So, and the other thing is, since I also have a CT license, they require me to take a certain amount of uh, continuation classes um, every, I think it's every two years. So uh, for you to maintain your license, you're required to always be, be up to date and, and to always be learning and, and 
and be knowledgeable about almost every aspect of, of the field. Okay. Okay. Um that that that's that's interesting, man. Are are you doing any research? In, in uh, are are you doing any uh, research, or are you just like kind of just uh, you know, are you a technician analyst, or you know what? What's what's your exact role? My role, okay. I'm called. Um, my position, I guess, is like a senior nuclear medicine technologist. That just basically means that. Um, I'm trained in the technology related to nuclear medicine, and I'm licensed to inject all the the radiopharmaceuticals, all the isotopes. I'm licensed to operate all the the equipment, uh, the cameras, the machinery in the department, and I'm licensed to um, to pretty much process with the computer systems. I'm, I'm I'm required to be knowledgeable about all the processing and the analysis of, of the data we we, uh, we acquire. Um, wow. And Kaiser isn't actually, a, it's not a research facility, so we're not really allowed to, to, to actually do, do experimental uh, procedures. Uh, everything we do has to be approved by the FDA, and it has to be a standard diagnostic procedure. So pretty much my, my role is to, uh, to perform uh, a study. It's called studies, but it's not. It's not actually research. They're called studies when you when you do a procedure. And my role is to to complete the study and to uh, pretty much present it to to the nuclear medicine doctor. And I need to be you know on the same page with the doctor in the sense that his interpretation or his diagnosis is based upon my work. Therefore, right. I have to be be sure. That the doctor is is satisfied with with the work I've done, or I've I've given the doctor everything that he needs to to make his interpretation or to 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 make a diagnosis. Wow, man, that's even more fascinating because now you have to take this information, you have to analyze it, and then put it in a way that a, a doctor can actually. Uh, understand it, or under yeah, like I said, understand it, and then you know come up with some kind of uh, way to work with the the member or the patient. Um, right. So, uh, man, I never even imagined, man, that it was that deep. But it makes a, it makes a lot lot of sense. Um, have you ever considered, uh, you know, becoming an MD? Well, at one time I did, but. I mean, I I realize that um, being a doctor isn't for everybody, uh, and I think that being a, being a physician is a really really stressful uh, occupation, and physicians take work work home with them, and just the whole process of of medical school and um, and being an intern and 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 residency and, and all those things, I've never really felt in my heart that that is really really what I wanted. I see. Um, I think I think you know in my aspect of healthcare, I think that I interact with the patient. I, I perform a, a study, and I think that our doctors look at us as colleagues in the sense that I know a lot more about the patient than they do. So mm-hmm. when I come into their office. If if you were my patient and I came into to my my chief 
my chief uh, doctor's office, you know, I would be presenting your your medical information, and then the doctor would be would trust me to 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 be the expert on on your care in the sense that he would ask right. me, okay, what what do you think about this patient? And uh, from from the study I've done, he would need me to give him additional information, and, and oftentimes they ask us our opinion on on what what they they should be looking for or what they they think a good diagnosis would be. Hmm. And then the doctor, they'll basically kind of take that diagnosis and try to figure out a solution to deal with the diagnosis. Uh, in a sense, in a sense. Let's say, um, let's say your kidneys were not, like let's say one of your kidneys was only functioning at, you know, 25% of its normal capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd bring the study to him and he would see it and he would, you know, we, we would go back and forth about, okay, um, you know, does this guy need to urinate often? He, he, he'd get more information from me, and then I'd, I'd help him to form his diagnosis with, with the information I, I gave him. And, um, you know, with, with the analysis I've already done on the data, um, he, would, he would trust that, that I understood whether, you know, what, what's going on. And, um, you know, a lot of times they, they, they have to trust me to, to let them know what what's going on with the patient makes sense makes sense yeah so let me ask you this man what does a normal day look like for you if you're running these studies on on members or patients and then you're meeting you're interacting with the physicians and you know kind of going over the studies with them what does a normal day look like for you is every day the same is every day different um honestly Working in the hospital setting, uh, you never know what every day is going to is going to look like. Um, just like your your um, your 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 episode that you experienced in a hospital where somebody coded um, in in the waiting room, yeah. that those types of things happen every day. I think most people who aren't around the hospital on a regular basis don't understand that. In, in, in our society, when somebody has reached the end of their rope, uh, people send uh, people send send a person to the hospital to die, you know. And, I mean, there are people in the hospital who appear to be normally fine. I've, I've been having conversations with, 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 with a patient, and they, they code, you know. I, I mean, uh, I had an instance maybe a year and a half ago where, one of my colleagues was trying to start an IV on a guy, and he, he couldn't get it. So he called me, and I'm starting. I'm, I'm looking at the man's hand while I'm sliding the IV in, and the guy codes. I don't even notice that he passed out because I'm focused on his hand. But my colleague is watching over my shoulder, and he starts screaming the guy's name. So I look up, and the guy is out. So I lay the guy on the floor, and um, our doctor is right across the hall from us, and he, he heard my colleague screaming the, the man's name. So he ran in. And he, he checks the guy's pulse, pulse and he's, he's out. So he's, he, my, my doctor just basically says, start compression. So we, we start pumping on the guy, and we call the code. And, you know, I'd say less than five minutes later, the, the, the code blue team is there. Um, they're trying to force uh, medications through the IV. I just started on his hand. And the vein is too small, and they blow the vein in his hand. They start an IV on his jugular in his neck. So there, oh, there's blood oh. everywhere. We we pumping on this guy, and then they have to start defibrillating. So they shocked the man. They I think they shocked him at least six times before they got a good rhythm. 
So they transported the guy. Before he came back. To, he came back after six shots? He came back. He came back. They got, they got a good, uh, uh, a stable heart rhythm after six shots. So they, they've been working on this guy, I would say, for at least 25 minutes before he got a heart rhythm. So they put him on a gurney. They took him to ICU first. And 10 minutes later, he coded again. I heard the cold blue. He coded again 10 minutes later, right? So they brought him back, evidently. He was in the IR, the interventional radiology department. They were casting him to to try to find the blockage in his heart. About, I'd say, two hours later, he coded again in the cath lab, right? So this was a Friday. Listen, this is a Friday. I went home. I come in Monday morning. My chief doctor... Watches me walk in the apartment. He's smiling, idiot. I'm like, man, what's going on? He said, huh. hey, you know our patient on Friday that, that died on us? I said, yeah. He said, he just went He's home back. this morning. He's back, baby. I <laughs> 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 are you serious? This guy died Heck three times. No. <laughs> Can you imagine? He should have went to play the lottery right that Monday morning. Are you kidding me? Three times? Three times, and the thing is, the guy died right in front of me, and I, you know, I looked up and he was he was gone. But the thing is, those types of things happen in a hospital. I mean, and it, it all it doesn't always work out that way. I mean, sometimes my colleagues might be working with a the patient, they might be talking to a patient, and the patient is dead the next minute. And then, you know, the, a lot of people take it really, really, really hard. Like I've, I had a student that I was training who was working with one of my colleagues. And a patient died, and she took it really, like, for the next month, she was, like, in tears in the hospital every day. And, I mean, it, it's just it's just a part of working in, in a hospital environment. Yeah, I can imagine it to be very emotional, man, especially if you have, like, a close connection to people and, you know, you have passion about life and, you know, to, to see someone pass on their spirit pass on or you know what however you think it to be but um i'm sure that you know if you're not used to it it, it's probably a hard thing to see um right you know for individuals who's curious in a career in uh, nuclear medicine radiology type specialties what uh, academic path would you suggest to them uh, once again, everyone, we're talking to Sean Webb. He's a senior radiology. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, pardon me, Sean. He's a senior nuclear medicine technologist. And we're talking about his experience uh, about being a nuclear uh, medicine technologist. Um, and he has some great, great insight and some, you know, very uh, intriguing uh, stories that we've been talking about during this podcast. Uh, so back to you, Sean. For member, for listeners uh, who who might have an interest in nuclear medicine, like you said, it was something that you accidentally came upon. Um, it, this might be that moment for them as well. This nuclear medicine stuff actually sounds really cool. What academic path uh, is available, or would you recommend to them to take to kind of to get to where you are? Okay. Well. Um with the Kaiser School, where I attended, um, they had a certain criteria. They either wanted you to be an experienced healthcare professional. Um, I think the common path to nuclear medicine is other modalities of imaging. So let's say, for example, you were working in an x-ray field. Let's say you're an x-ray tech 
for five or six years, and you want uh-huh. to to move. So um, nuclear medicine is kind of thought to be the uh, uh, a, a step up from from X-ray or CT or, or those other uh, imaging modalities. So if uh-huh. you've already been in X-ray tech and you've been in the field for a number of years, um, the Kaiser School would would accept that that background as as um, part of, of the consideration to accept you into the program. But they definitely require a certain amount of uh, of, of math. Of uh, they definitely require anatomy with um, with a lab uh, portion working with a human body. So they, they require a cadaver uh, lab in in essence. So you'd have to take an anatomy class and you have to be hands-on with a cadaver where you have to work with, with a human body and be able to um, identify all the organs, the muscle systems, the bones, and, you know, um, that's one of the main, the main requirements is that you have to have a, 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 a real uh, anatomy lab. Um, and just the, the requirements, I think they, they change periodically, but I would advise somebody who was interested to find the, the programs in the area that, that, that teach or train for nuclear medicine and, um, and read, figure out what their requirements are. Some of them require um, a, certain, um, you know, a certain level of, of math, a certain level of, of science or, or anatomy or biology, and um, other programs require that you actually visit a department and shadow somebody for at least um, eight hours. I so, see. Um, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it, and it doesn't hurt to stop into a hospital and ask, Ask one of the technologists if they wouldn't mind you to, you know, for you to, to shadow them for a few hours or half a day or even a whole day. And uh, I mean, we do it in our department. In, any students who are interested, we we allow them to to shadow and uh, to just to come in and learn if if they're interested. Man, I, I really like that that you, you know the information that you're giving out to listeners that if you're interested in it, you know, go to the department, ask questions, ask if you can. Uh, shadow and monitor what they do in their job and that departments like yours, you're completely open to being like, yeah, you know, you know, come hang out with us and, you know, come come see what we do. I think that's excellent in terms of, you know, giving out opportunities in terms of uh, your, your field. Are there a lot of African-Americans in, in nuclear medicine, CT medicines and technologists and things like that? Well, I think there are a number of, of African Americans in imaging uh, as a whole. I think there there I think uh being an X ray tech is, is uh a really, really um I don't wanna say common. I mean I think that every hospital has I'd say fifty to a hundred X ray technologists because yeah. X ray is a huge field and hospitals do probably thousands of X rays every day. So I, I there, there, there's quite a few uh, African Americans in the X-ray department. Um, I did a rotation in the CT department. There's only one that I know of who's full time in Kaiser Walnut Creek, and mm-hmm. I'm the only African American in the nuclear medicine department in Walnut Creek. And overall, I've been to like the regional conferences where you know the uh, Northern California chapter of the uh, Society of Nuclear Medicine. I would say there. On average, there there are less than ten African American. There are approximately ten African Americans uh, between, I would say, Fresno and um, I don't know what I mean. 
Oregon or Washington, wherever. Where, I mean, in, in you know, in Northern California, there. there uh huh. I'd, I'd say that it's. I'd say it's it's almost representative of African Americans in the population. population. About, about yeah. 13 fourteen percent, maybe. Yeah, that that's what it sounds like to me. Too. Uh, at what point in your career, you've been in uh, uh, nuclear medicine for over 12 years, two of those years were training. At right. what point did you actually find your voice in the field, right? Where, yeah, where did you, when did you find your voice in the field? Being that, I, I, I guess, I guess I can kind of put it from this perspective where you're actually confident to present your analysis to a doctor and the doctor to actually really trust, you know, your, you know, your analysis and your suggestions. I think, hmm, I think after, I think after at least a few years, I would say that after I was trained there, after, after I, I, I was hired full time, I feel like, they knew that I, I was reputable because I, I was familiar with all the doctors. I knew what each individual doctor wanted, and I was I was specifically trained, you know, for for that department. And uh, w- when I was hired, you know, it was made clear to me that they that that the doctors specifically wanted me there. So it, I, I felt a sense of confidence, you know, uh, you know, on my first day. But it, it takes a, it took a number of years. For them to to know that you know that I, I'm the I'm the person that they should go to if you know things are a bit ambiguous and they 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 really really need need some help. I mean, I think it took them years to to, to really know that they could depend on on me, and uh-huh. you know that that I was I was really really confident. And I think that comes from you know being consistent and uh, doing you know consistently. Doing, you know, providing excellent care and, and providing the doctors with with everything they need, and um, you know, once once I felt that that they they trusted me completely, I felt confident to you know to be honest with them, to be very upfront, and to to even uh, suggest. I felt comfortable enough to suggest, you know, what they should be doing to to provide mm-hmm. better care to the patient. So um, I mean, I, and and once they understand that that you're you're intelligent. You really, really understand the science and, and the technology behind most of it, and you, you understand what they're looking for in the study. They, they okay. trust your judgment, and, and, and they, they debate. You know, it's, 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 it's a debate. Like, the doctors debate among each other about what they should do or what they see and what, what should be done. So I think they respect me on the level where, where we have those same conversations. That's great, man. It, it sounds like you really enjoy uh, what you're doing, man, and... Um, what what is the future for your field? What do you see in the future for your field? Say a hundred years from now, nuclear medicine is it, it's, it appears that it's still in its infancy. Um, I, I think it's been in healthcare, according from what I've read, for over the last fifty years. Um, please correct me if I'm incorrect there, um, but it seems like it's still relatively young in the healthcare uh, field. What do you uh, project it to be in the future? Is it a type of technology or a type of method that, you know, that we all all be using or, you know, the technology be the same or what, what do you think? Well, I mean, 
honestly, I mean, when we go to these, these seminars and these conventions, there's always the newest technology that's coming out. Um, they, they, they've already incorporated nuclear medicine. Nuclear medicine used to stand alone. But um, in the past, I would say five or six years, it's been incorporated with CT scans. So um, nuclear medicine is done in conjunction with, like we have CT scanners built onto our gamma cameras now. And um, I, I actually got a CT license because CT is being incorporated in, into the nuclear medicine technology. And the next, the next step is incorporating MRI into nuclear medicine technology. Wow. Um, and it, it just, it's just evolving on the research level, I mean, places like Stanford and other research institutions are, are doing cutting-edge procedures where they're using other, other isotopes that give off different energies of, of, of radiation, and they allow, you know, images, you know, it, better image quality. So, um, honestly, I, I, I can't predict where the technology is going. Um, I, I just know that, you know, the, the only constant... In, in any field is change. So, I mean, right. in terms of my career, all I can do is, is stay abreast of, of all the newest technology and and hopefully have the, the opportunity to, to to learn, you know, with the, with the new the new equipment and the new mm -hmm. the new uh, procedures and mm -hmm. continue to you know to practice. I mean, I don't plan on practicing for the next thirty or forty years. I, I probably I'll probably practice nuclear medicine for for maybe another five or ten more years, and I think I I'll probably I'll probably be ready to to move on to something else. It, would it still be in healthcare? Um, I think that remains to be seen. Um, uh -huh. that remains to be seen in, in the sense that you know, personally, I I, I view myself as an opportunist in yes. the sense that you know, when 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 opportunities arise. I, I, I think, you know, I owe myself the, the you know, the effort to, to pursue different opportunities. And, it, and if, if things work out and I move into a different direction, um, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But, um, you know, nuclear medicine, I think, is a great career in the sense that, to go back to one of your, your earlier questions, um, mm -hmm. every day is different. I mean, yes. I, might, I might get seven patients in a day. I might be evaluation. I might be evaluating one patient's kidney system, the next patient's liver and gallbladder. I might be looking at the bones of another patient. Then I might look at a patient's heart. Um, then I might look at a patient's digestive system. So I might, I might be doing eight to, to ten completely different procedures in a day. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's, what, you know, that's what makes it so interesting in the sense that, you know, it doesn't get – you know, ambiguous or monotonous. You, you, it's not like you're you're making you know the same the same piece of equipment in the factory. Oh, it's not it's not you know assembly line uh, a type of occupation. Yes, it, it sounds like every day is a is different from the past day or the next. And I, I think me personally think that uh, that that is what makes a lot of our jobs in healthcare very interesting because there's just always something new to learn. There's always something Definitely. completely different to work on, and it's Definitely. healthcare. And when you go ahead and mix it with technology, it's changing right. day by day by day. And right. as a healthcare professional, I, I really enjoy 
the field that I am I'm in because really at the end of today, at the end of the day, it's not really about having an understanding of uh, these these technologies or or understanding the differences in the procedures, but it's really about providing uh, healthcare to the right. members and making sure that they right. continue to live a, a great quality quality of life. So yeah. it's just like you know, it's kind of like my purpose in life is to help others, and uh, right. and and even from my perspective and what what I do within the hospital. Um, you know, I, I feel that I am a healthcare professional, although I work in technology. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has the common goal to, to provide excellent care to the patients. Yes. Um, because I mean, I, I everybody should should try to provide the same care that that they would want if if they mm-hmm. were in the patient's position. And I mean, a, a lot of a lot of healthcare has to do with just making people feel comfortable and, uh, you know, helping to, to relieve some of the anxiety people have about, you know, their health because, you know, when people aren't well, it, it you know, it, it's bad in the sense that they have an ailment and it's also bad in the sense that, you know, anxiety and, and you know, and, you know, men, mental health, the, the mental health side about being worried about, you know, the extent of, of the, the, the ailment and, you know, being afraid. So I mean, you you have to help to, to neutralize a lot of the anxiety and the fear to help a person to to be comfortable, you know, you know, so you can provide them excellent care, and um, you know, let them know that that you're there to help. And sometimes patients come in and, and they're they're really unhappy and they're they're often rude and you know, but you know, it's it's, it's the worst part of the human condition that that you see in the hospital, and you just have to understand it and you have to. To, to provide excellent care, you know, uh, regardless of, of what condition the patient's in. Right. That definitely that empathy goes a long way, and I, I know that can be a, the difference in a great health care experience versus a bad health care experience. Right. I'm in the hospital. I'm dealing with whatever ailment I have, but I have this guy that's in here that's just kind of reading off of his chalkboard. I mean, off of his um, his clipboard. And Correct. you know he he's not really trying to understand me. He's just focused on that right. that that computer screen or his clip clipboard or whatever else is going on. You need that human touch, uh, especially exactly. when you're in in situations like that. Because like you said earlier, in a lot of cases, you know people go to hospitals to you know move on to the next next life or whatever it is. Right. So it right. is a very right. stressful type of. Uh, you know, scenario, situation, if you will. So, Sean, thanks again for uh, participating in our podcast here. So, really, what the rabbit hole is all about, I believe I've had a discussion with you earlier on, is really to highlight um, uh, professionals, particularly um, African Americans or, or minorities as a whole, that operate in these various fields. I've talked to psychologists, I've talked to technology technologists in cloud computing, I've talked to entertainers, I've talked to uh who did I talk to last week? Um I talked to uh it, network engineers and stuff, man, in, in these fields. And and really it's for what I'm trying to do here is I want to have a voice uh over the internet, um throughout the entire world wide web 
um, to provide, you know, those words of encouragement or, or provide the insight from people like yourself um, to others who might feel like they might be limited um, in where they can go in life. Um, so thanks again for, for participating um, in this podcast. We're going to go ahead and probably end in probably like the next five, ten minutes. But normally at this segment of the show, um, I, I have some fun questions for you. Just, right. just something for you know us to just kind of kind of cap the interview off and give our listeners a understanding that you know what Sean Sean is actually a really cool 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 cat man and that's one one uh, reason why I really value our friendship man because I see that you're a very focused individual man you're a family man you have a tremendous amount of uh, love and respect for your wife and children. And I see you, uh, you know, whenever I do, you know, really, really taking care of business, man. So I want to go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, represent you in the highest uh, uh, possible form. Um, you, you are a real, real cool cat. So, so moving on. So what's your favorite part of the day? My entire day or my work day? Your work day, your entire day, your weekend day, whatever day. Um, honestly, the the best part of my day is coming home and seeing my children. Actually, honestly, that that's the best part of my day. Um, I think throughout the day, I think about my children, you know, um, consistently, you know, and I think it is my motivation, um, you know, to 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 do the best that I, I can do in life. I mean, to, I mean, I strive for excellence in the sense that um, I, I want to provide for my children and I want to be an, an example for them. Um, I'm, and I don't, I don't want to come off in the sense that, that I'm just some ultra-righteous guy, you know. Um, like, Which like you, you are. Said that, uh, Which you are. No, I'll I, go I, ahead and give you that no, no, all day. No, no, but it's 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 not. I mean, just, just like you were you were saying about how you know you want to inspire people to who might think that things are beyond their reach in the sense that I mean, I'm just I, I'm 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 just like everybody else. I mean, I was yes. I I grew up in, in low income apartments. You know, I you know I I grew up around around gang members. You know, my my relatives have have been incarcerated for for. For firearm and drug, you know, and narcotics, uh, right. you know, possession. So I mean, it's, like it's not like, yeah, it's it's not like I I I grew up in in, you know, you know, uh, like like Kanye say, I, I'm not one of the Cosby's. I didn't go to Hillman. You know, my my parents yes. weren't lawyers. So I mean, I'm I'm from Chicago. I'm I'm from you know, I'm I'm from I'm from what's called the ghetto, and you know, I'm I'm a real person. I mean, yes. I, I might. I might I might have a, a, attended and graduated from a, a major four year university, but I mean when when I go home, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just like everybody else. Yeah. And and, so, and that's what that that's what's really really cool about you, man, because you can go ahead and go between these environments, and you can be the coolest cat at the barber shop, and you know talk that stuff. But then at the same right. time, you can be in front of a medical doctor uh, and, right. you know, give him uh, suggestions on or, or, or at, 
give you suggestions on what your diagnosis or what your what came from your analysis that you can actually right. go between all of these different environments and be a still be authentic, real guy. Right. And and, right. and I and I commend you for that. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, I think that you know, people should just be you know who they are, and I think that yes. I mean. Just because you have a certain education or just because you have a certain skill set or, uh-huh. or you, you're, you've, you strive for excellence in, in some area, I, I don't think that should, you know, dictate who yes. you are. I think yes. nuclear medicine is what I do, you know, as an occupation or what I do as a, as a living. I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, around my grandparents. Who, whose parents were basically sharecroppers. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, they, they've taught me my whole life that, you know, that for, a black, for, for an African-American to be held in a high regard, uh, you know, you have to be ten times as good as everybody else. I mean, that, that's just the, the honest fact, you know. For you, to be, right. to, for you to be respected and to be held in a high regard, you have to be ten times as good as everybody else. And I think that was a good upbringing in the sense that if you strive to be ten times as good as everybody else and you end up being five times better than everybody else, you're still the best, you know. So yes. even if you you fail, you know, at, at you know, at, at being, you know, what you want to be, you'll, you'll, still, you, you'll still surpass excellence. And, um, you know, um, it's, it, it, nuclear medicine is what I do for a living. I, I tell nope. people all the time, you know, I, I think it's a great career. I enjoy it. But I, I tell people if my check is not there on Friday, I won't be there on Monday. So, um, you know, it's it's just, you know, it's, it's the reality. It's the reality of life. And It's um, the reality of life. Right, man. Right. And, yeah, man, that, that, that's awesome, man. Let me get to the next question here. The first right. thing you right. do when you wake up in the morning. Right. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, yeah. Um, usually, I'm I'm trying to get I'm trying to get a shower and and I'm trying to brush my teeth before my 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 <laughs> children wake up because I mean I, you you know I have two children and me and my wife we we have to we we choose one you know if you know I usually try to get Cyrus ready and she usually gets. Uh, my baby Sienna ready, or if you know, if something else, you know, if the agenda is different from the day, I have to start. You know, I, I my work starts when when my children when my children wake up. I I'm on a mission to get them ready and get myself ready and, and get out the door and, and begin our day. Right, right. What's your favorite pastime? My favorite pastime is watching sports, uh, specifically boxing. I, I, I love watching boxing. Um, as you know, um, whenever Floyd fights, I'm trying to be in, in Vegas. And, right. you know, I, I like I like being in the middle of the action, not necessarily going to the fight, but, you know, feeling the electricity uh, of the fight atmosphere. You know, being in the okay. MGM Grand and everybody's hyped, everybody's wanting to see a, a, a good show, and everybody is, you know, it, it, it's just, it's an experience that I love. Yeah, that, that is cool, man. And to see the stars, all the entertainers, and exactly. like you said, when you go into those places, man, that energy is so thick, you can you can feel it. 
And, exactly. uh, and you know, if, even here locally at, at an Andre Ward fight it, yes. at the Coliseum, I mean, when, it, when, it's, when, it's, when it's a good fight and, you know, everybody's expecting and looking forward to a good fight or even a good game, uh, I mean, I go to Warriors games and I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. watch the, the All-Star game and, 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 you know, within the next hour. I mean, yes. I just like to, yes. I just like, you know, the anticipate, the anticipation, the excitement. I just, I just, I just love the, 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 you know, I just love to be, to be, you know, the anticipation of, of a good game, a good competition. Yes, as the old saying goes, you work hard and you play hard. So, Definitely. next question for you, Sean. Uh, can you have you ever heard of the term Afrofuturism? I never have. No, uh, but I, I could just. Assume or, or 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 guess what what it what it refers to, but I I prefer you to ex- explain it to me. No, th- this is uh, where it gets a little interesting. We are on the rabbit hole, and you know we kind of take these dips and turns, and you know we kind of just take it wherever we'll go. You go ahead and try to decipher what Afrofuturism is. Afro Afrofuturism. Yes, sir. Um, it sounds like. It sounds like Afrofuturism is a term um, that helps to encompass, you know, the path or uh, the state of affairs of the African American community. Um, you know, somewhere down the line, it's, it's basically like like most deaf said. You know, uh, people always ask, you know. Where where is hip hop going? You know where are things you know evolving to? Like where where what is the next big thing? You know and uh, you know maybe Afrofuturism is is just the 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 study or 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 thinking in terms of where where the African American diaspora the, the diaspora the African American community where where we're headed where we're going you know and and what things lie ahead for us. Yes, and most importantly, uh, definitely uh, visualizing or inserting our, our place in in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, of course, right. we're 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 part of this landscape, um, but definitely moving into the future, a hundred, two hundred, a thousand years from now, we want to definitely be be there where you know our great 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 grand grandchildren the generation from now they understand the hard work that we're putting in today is actually benefiting them during their time period um and then okay. even even getting a little uh more idealistic is uh you know like you like you said you're you're working on a, a very specialized type of medicine and that's nuclear medicine um you know who 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 can really say if that's the end of it or not? There's always something new, and and what will it actually take for us to actually be out and discover, um, you know, what's out there in outer space on these other planets? Other are there other life forms, right? So we right. need to be part of that. We need to have our own spaceships. We need to be on those spaceships. We need to be part of those new colonies. Um, because there's a lot of development and technology that's being developed right now, um, you know, to to kind of explore, um, you know, outer space. Okay. What's your favorite technology or application? Hmm. Let me think. I mean, my favorite in terms of 
my you i mean ebay is is amazing i think i mean it, <laughs> I, I love ebay i mean uh i think it's it's amazing that i mean that that retail i mean just the 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 retail marketplace is is everywhere i think that I, my wife and i we joke all the time about how things were different uh, like um for example I, I talk about like when I have a I, like I don't really go out to nightclubs and bars much, but like if I have one of my college friends or somebody visiting from out of town, they always want to go out and just see what the nightlife is like. So every time I go out, I notice that, you know, everybody's standing around, you know, looking at a cell phone. People are in nightclubs and lounges, places, you know, you know, supposedly social atmospheres being very antisocial in the sense that people are looking at their phones, they're texting, they're, they're on different apps, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and people have, have congregated to be antisocial, to, 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 to actually uh, give all of their attention to their phones. And, you know, me and my wife joke about how, you know, when I was a teenager in my early 20s, nobody had a cell phone, you know. And, you know, me and my crew – we would, we, we would, you know, we would drink and we would dare each other to go talk to the prettiest girl in the club. We, we would, we would force each other to be social. We were, we were in the, we, we were in the bar, you know, making our rounds, you know, talk, talk <laughs> mingling with the ladies, you know, and yes. that, that doesn't, that doesn't happen now. You know, it, it, it I feel, I mean, when I go to, when I go out, I feel, I feel out of place. I mean, because I think the next generation is so immersed in technology that they've lost a lot of the social skills that 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 I think my generation we we were we were forced to to acquire. Right. It's interesting that you say that. Um, you know, like 20 years ago, we were all young men before uh, pre wives right. and family and all that stuff. But just must clarify right. put that out there. Um, I, I was talking to uh, one of my sons, and they were going to uh, a dance, and I told them. Well, actually, I was dropping them off at the mall, and I, I recall going to the mall as a young person. It was really to kind of, you know, conversate and talk to girls, right? Right. Definitely. So, definitely. Yeah. without a doubt. So, I was like, you know what, you guys, do you guys have ink in your pens? Do you guys have your little right. uh, little tablet or a little piece of paper to go ahead and write the phone number on? They looked at me and just started dying, like, really? Really, old man? <laughs> That's not how it's done. If we were to come out with a a pencil and a piece of paper and write our number down, they they would think that you know we're completely not cool. And that right there, we it, I was like, oh, is that so? And I was like, so how is it done? He's like, well, they right. we go ahead and let them write their information on our arms. I was like, okay, that doesn't make sense at all. Um, but most importantly. <laughs> They were saying, well, we have our, our cell phones, and we let them go right. ahead and put their information in our cell phones like that. Right. Uh, I was right. like, so would you just give your, uh, your, 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 your cell phone to a ra- random stranger and just <laughs> let them put information into your phone? Right. right. Yeah, that's exactly how it was done. So <laughs> technology has changed, and the times have, have changed you know, how young men, how they start that courtship, how they, you know, court, uh, you know, young right. women nowadays. And I'm sure we can go into right. some deeper stuff about that, but it's completely <laughs> different. And technology is kind of uh, kind of causing everybody to, you know, become, um, you know, this 
uh, this life form, this digital life form, and that's the only way right. that folks can really be comfortable with talking to one another these days. So I definitely I, understand I, what you're saying. Right, right. I mean, I, I think, honestly, I think technology, I, I think it, it, it's done a, a lot to kind of somewhat isolate people and make people more introverted because uh, before eBay, you had to go somewhere and buy things. Like, you know, like you, you had to go to the mall or you had to go to, to Montgomery Ward, which is no longer there. You had to go to see it. You had to go somewhere to get things. You know, you can sit in your house and get on Amazon or eBay and things will be delivered. You don't even have to be home. Things, things, will, things will come to you. Things come to you. You don't have to go to, to anything. I mean, and... Right, right. With all this social media in, in terms of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that, I think, you know, people be, you know, they, they sit in their homes, they sit in, in, in their personal space, and they kind of, you know, they kind of try to, to, to keep up with the lives of other people who they don't really, they don't necessarily know them that well personally. And I, I think that, you know, it it kind of, it kind of eliminates the need to actually call people to talk to them to see what they're doing, because I mean you can go on Facebook, you you look at the pictures they post, see see what they say, and you know you've never really even communicated, and it's supposed to be social media. I mean I, I don't I don't get that. For our listeners and for those who might be interested in nuclear medicine, uh, is there a way for folks to communicate to you if they're interested in asking questions or? To me personally, um, sure. Um, they can they can email me at uh, s h o n d a r r e l l at yahoo.com. That that's fine. They can they can email me and ask me any questions they might have. That's that's my personal email. Um, you know, I mean, I I, I have no problem with answering any questions anybody might have. And uh, I would just suggest that if anybody's interested in not only nuclear medicine, I mean, if you're interested in in rocket science, if you want to be an astronaut, if you want, I mean, whatever you want to be, don't don't feel as though the world is closed closed yes. off. I mean, where, wherever uh, anything that, that you're interested in, where, wherever it is practiced, whatever it takes place, feel free to to visit and ask questions. Be be very be be active. You know, go go out to the places where where things are, are being done, and you know, let people know you're interested. And, and yes. take the time to, to show your interest and and you know you you, you be be serious about it you know and uh, you know things things usually open up for you you know but like like I said I, I stumbled on nuclear medicine accidentally but uh-huh. at some point you have to take the initiative to, to go to the department and ask some questions I mean because I I could have walked out of the treadmill room after the lady suggested that I look into it. And just yes. say, well, lady, this is your dream. This is something that you want to do. And, you know, I have I have better things to do in my life. I could have walked out and who knows where I, I would be today. I, I, would, I would be, you know, somewhere else. Right, right. But pay attention to those messages that the universe is sending you, is what I would say. Yes. Most importantly, when opportunities arise, Pursue, pursue them. I mean, every opportunity is not going to pan out. Everything is not going to be successful. But, you know, if you hear of something that might be beneficial to you, I mean, take a few minutes and, and, and go to, you know, go the next step and, and look into it, you know, because you owe it to yourself. 
Absolutely, you owe it to yourself. So once again, so we have approximately 90 seconds left of this podcast. Thank you again, Sean, for participating in our podcast today. For listeners who's interested in reaching me, again, my name is Shane. You can reach me at ShaneZ1 at Hotmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, feedback on our podcast, definitely reach out to me. Uh, as Sean actually alluded to earlier, you can reach him at SeanDaryl at Yahoo.com. Until next time, be curious of life to discover new experiences and always envision yourself in the future. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace. An escape route they used to escape out when things got crazy. They needed to break out. They head to any place with stairs, any good grinds. The world was theirs, uh. and they four wheels would take them there until the cops came and said, "There's no skating here." And so they kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, coast. And the way they rode, just rebels without a cause, with no place to go. And so they kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick. So come roll with me, just a rebel, looking for a place to be. So let's kick, uh, uh, and push.